If you are interested in parapsychology and academia, and how parapsychology relates to the scientific world and the scientific community, you are really going to enjoy this one. Hello everyone, I'm Angela and welcome back to my channel, your online resource for the academic study of magic and magic practicing religions and traditions. Today I have a special guest here on the channel, Jeffrey Mishlov, author of The Roots of Consciousness, Psi Development Systems and The PK Man. Between 1986 and 2002, Jeffrey hosted and co-produced the original Thinking Aloud public television show. He is past president of the non-profit Intuition Network, an organization dedicated to creating a world in which all people are encouraged to cultivate their inner abilities. He is recipient of, as he reports, the only doctoral diploma in parapsychology ever awarded by a university in the US, which is the University of California, Berkeley. He currently hosts the new Thinking Aloud YouTube channel. Although Jeffrey's channel employs quite a different approach than the one I employ here on Angela's Symposium, as I focus primarily on academic peer-reviewed literature and research, I know that many of you are not academics, but rather magic or esoteric practitioners. And hence you might be interested in exploring the variety of topics he covers, which usually gravitate within the realm of parapsychology and psi phenomena. Since, as I just mentioned here on Angela's Symposium, we focus primarily on the academic side of these kind of topics, we are going to explore with Jeffrey relations and contrasts between parapsychology and academia. So please help me in welcoming Jeffrey on Angela's Symposium. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Angela. It's a pleasure to see you again. Yeah, I'm really happy that you accepted to be here on Angela's Symposium. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, and I already introduced you to my audience and I explained what's your background and what is it that you currently uh, do on your YouTube channel and uh, in general, uh, even with your books. And I'm really fascinated by the fact that um, even though you're not an academic, you do have an academic background. And so I wanted you to kind of uh, tell me something about your PhD experience, uh, researching something so, you know, on the edge or on yeah. the fringes. Mm -hmm. and, and actually, I didn't include it in my biography that I sent you, but I do teach. Uh, parapsychology and a course on uh, William James and the stream of consciousness through uh, an accredited institution uh, called the Holmes Institute, which is for 
uh, ministers in training with a uh, a church called the uh, currently known as the Centers for Spiritual Living, formerly known as uh, the United Church of Religious Science. So I, I'm not totally removed uh, from academia. <laughs> But uh, but when I got my doctoral degree in parapsychology at Berkeley, uh, the University of California at Berkeley in, in 1980, uh, it was a very unique degree. It was an individual interdisciplinary doctoral degree in parapsychology. And uh, I, it, through a unique program that I created, and I'm the only person who's ever been through it, so I have a doctoral diploma that uh, actually says parapsychology right on the uh, sheepskin, so to speak. And to my knowledge, it's, it's the only such diploma ever awarded by an accredited university uh, anywhere in the world, which, which isn't to say that there are no other parapsychologists. There are actually about 400 members of the Parapsychological Association, many of okay. whom have doctoral degrees from universities, particularly in England, as a matter of fact. But uh, to my knowledge, all of those degrees w would say psychology or, or something similar. Oh, yeah, I see. I was wondering what you meant by uh, the only doctoral degree in, uh, in parapsychology. Yeah, that what I it's it's kind of narrow. It means I have a diploma that has the word parapsychology printed right on it, and uh, okay. because there are many good people in England doing parapsychological research, but I think I have a broader approach because when you go through a program that's basically experimental psychology, and then you do some parapsychology experiments, you're not necessarily exposing yourself to the the long history of the field or to a study of the the many esoteric uh, mystical shamanistic traditions uh, that have uh, well over a thousand years of history of dealing with uh, and exploring and applying uh, what we call psi or psychic phenomena mm. yeah that is fascinating now was your phd experience I, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? How was your PhD experience? Well, I, I was a student in the program from 1973 uh, after I got my master's degree in criminology uh, until 1980. Uh, so it was a seven-year program and I can say this, the, the closer I got to actually graduating, the more and more obstacles the university threw at me because uh, they were under pressure from various skeptics not to grant a degree in parapsychology. And uh, even after I was awarded the degree, various skeptical organizations launched a pressure campaign on the university to get them to revoke it. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a very dramatic uh, situation. I, I, you know, looking back now, I'm, uh, I can kind of laugh about it, but at the time it was extremely stressful. It, it affected my health, a, as a matter of fact. Um, I can but, imagine. Yeah. Yeah, there, you know, it was, 
not an easy thing. Uh, I actually ended up, uh, after I got the degree, I was libeled. An article appeared in Psychology Today magazine claiming I probably really didn't get the degree, and if I did get it, I certainly didn't deserve it. So after working for seven years to get the degree, I spent another six years fighting a libel suit. Oh, that's Which, really, I'm really sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> well, you know, it was stressful, but as I look back now, I can laugh at it because uh, I'm, I'm living comfortably in a big house in Albuquerque and a lot of, you know, the small fortune that I have uh, really started when I got a cash settlement from that libel suit and was able to invest in real estate in California. So uh, it worked out uh, actually quite well for me at the end of the day. Yeah, it worked out in your favor <laughs> even though they yeah they didn't want you to <laughs> yeah that's quite fascinating but was mm -hmm. it just because of the topic which was in the realm of parapsychology or was it also because of the methodology you were employing in your doctoral research because what uh, I mean uh, from what I've been trained uh, to understand uh, academia and academic work and academic research is all about methodology so as long as you use the proper methodology you really don't have a subject that is not deserving of um, scholarly inquiry so I was wondering had it this kind of contrast that you had with the with the institution um, was, was there anything to do with the methodology. Was it about the methodology as well, or was it just because it was in the realm of parapsychology? Well, there, there were methodological issues uh, that had to be addressed. I, uh, I undertook at the time something very ambitious, which was uh, my doctoral dissertation was on training psychic abilities, and I actually put together a, a, a training program uh, and came up with some very interesting data, but at the end of the day there were some methodological problems, so uh, I had to rework the dissertation, uh, and in, instead of uh, highlighting the experimental work, it became more of a historical uh, overview of methods for uh, training psychic abilities. My dissertation was published as a book eventually. It's called Psi Development Systems. It's, it's still available uh, at different locations. So if anybody wants to review the methodology, it's, it's all public. Mm -hmm. If I recall correctly, even Carlos Castaneda uh, encountered difficulties in getting his doctoral research uh, yeah, approved and everything. So, yeah seems to be a theme that was going on especially around uh, that time because i think he was also graduating in the 70s i think yes. if i recall castaneda and i were uh, both students at the university of california at the same time i was at berkeley he was huh? at the ucla campus and uh, uh, both of us uh, had books Have you met out him? <laughs> no i never met him 
I do know other parapsychologists who who have met him, but I think it's fair to say he he was had a much higher profile than I had at the time, and and it was very controversial. And uh, but to to your other question, you know, at one point. under pressure, the uh, dean of the graduate division actually did issue an order revoking my doctoral degree. And uh, when I met with him at that point to say, you know, what's going on, his reply to me was, major universities do not award degrees in parapsychology. Uh, You know, so I had to fight a... um, political battle of sorts within the university. I had to go over his head to the provost of of the university at the time who reviewed the work I had done and the, you know, the fact that I had five professors who had signed off on my dissertation and approved the degree. And, And so at the end of the day, the dean of the graduate division was overruled by the provost. It was then <laughs> that uh, I, w- I was libeled and had spent six years fighting a libel suit. Mm. Yeah. As I said, I'm really sorry you had to go through this. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that uh, now in hindsight it makes your work even more, I don't know, I guess inspirational, <laughs> even valuable, we may say. Well, you know, in a way it feels sort of lonely because uh, after 40 years still being the only person with a doctoral diploma in parapsychology, uh, one of the reasons I'm putting up five videos every week on the New Thinking Aloud channel is uh, in the hope that in the future there will be more opportunities for students to work in this field and uh, all of the videos will be uh, a legacy an archive for those people Mm. yeah it is uh, kind of something that drives me as well with Angela's symposium and I get a lot of emails and uh, DMs of people saying that they were inspired to do um, academic work in this kind of field because of my videos and that really gives my work purpose I'd say because uh, it was the same for me because in Italy this kind of field is not studied at all um, I mean in my case it's anthropology of religion on the contemporary um, Western uh, traditions and so Basically, I never thought I could have pursued this kind of research from an academic point of view until I saw a YouTube video by Dr. Jenny Butler, uh, who's now a friend of mine and Mm a fellow academic, and I also have an interview with her on my channel. And yeah, I saw a video of her and she was uh, talking about her her doctoral research with uh, Irish pagans and witches. And to me, it was like, what can you study that at a university so that was kind of the a turning point for me because it kind of it really made me realize that it was possible because at the time um according to what i had around me i i didn't think that was an option to be honest so yeah i think that our work on youtube maybe can help people um maybe people that are in places where uh, these subjects are not as studied in schools, institutions, or universities to see that it is possible to pursue them 
from an academic point of view? I I think things are opening up slowly but but surely because the culture as a whole is is changing and more and more people are beginning to uh, explore forms of uh, spirituality other than mainstream uh, conventional religions. So uh, secular spirituality has become a very big movement, for example, N- not to mention all the interest in uh, paganism or in Eastern religions or in uh, other forms of mind dynamics and uh, uh, shamanism and, and, and so on. It's a burgeoning social movement. Yeah, that is true. Even Satanism as a secular uh, religious movement, well, of course, the secular kind of Satanism, yeah, that's also very fascinating. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with you that it is something that is on the rise. So maybe we will have more and more PhD students and researchers in the future who will... um, yeah, study this kind of topic. So that is interesting. But on that note, another thing that I wanted to ask you is, uh, since we talked about how difficult it was your PhD experience doing research in parapsychology, I wonder what is, in your opinion, the relation between science and parapsychology? So do you think that parapsychology can be considered as a form of science, or is it the edges of science or is it something different but related somehow so how do you position parapsychology in relation to natural science i'd say well you know it all depends on who you talk to you can you can go on wikipedia where the wikipedia article on parapsychology says point blank parapsychology is a pseudoscience Uh, on the other hand Uh, In 1969, the American Association for the Advancement of Science formally recognized the Parapsychological Association as as an affiliate, as a a member body. And that came after a lengthy debate and a vote of the council of the association. Over a hundred members of the council debated this and, and voted on it. And they determined that the methods used by parapsychologists are the same methods used uh, in uh, other behavioral sciences. So uh, by that strict standard, parapsychology is a science. Uh, I think that it has many components. There's an applied component, there's an educational component, a training component, a a field study component. Uh, But actually, when it comes to double-blind experiments, uh, meta-analysis, improvements in statistical methodology, uh, in many ways, parapsychologists are more advanced than other areas of behavioral science. Mm -hmm. So you you do think that it is science, since you you said there are different opinions on the matter. You do endorse this latter... um, opinion, this latter view that it is I I personally do. The parapsychologists I know who are doing experimental work are as rigorous and uh, dedicated and precise in in their work as as any other scientist. And in general, uh, one critic put it this way, parapsychologists are light years ahead of their critics in in general. That's my opinion. 
that the criticisms of parapsychology are becoming, uh, I have to say, lame. For example, I did send you, I believe, a copy of uh, a analysis of several meta-analyses uh, covering over 1,300 experiments in parapsychology had been published in the American Psychologist, the flagship journal of the American Psychological Association, which uh, has historically been very hostile to parapsychology. It was the first article they had published in 50 years, but it reviewed the experiments and pointed out that they had overwhelming statistical significance, that the methodologies were solid, that there are many uh, attempts to uh, model the findings using uh, theoretical physics that uh, is not necessarily inconsistent with what we know about physics today. And um, uh, so some skeptics uh, saw that article and they rebutted, tried to rebut it, but all they could say is, we don't care how good the experiments are or what the statistics say because we think it's impossible. So therefore, we don't accept it, uh, which, you know, from a logical point of view, is about the weakest response you can provide. Mm -hmm. Confronting empirical data by saying it's impossible, therefore it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that people or scholars may just reject outright these kind of findings? Why? Why? Do you do that, in your opinion? Why, why do they why do, do they, it? Yes, why do they yeah. do that? <laughs> well, well, I think it's fair to say mainstream academia comes from largely a materialistic metaphysics. It's an unquestioned metaphysics, but they, they assume that uh, from that point of view, these phenomena are impossible. For example, in the late uh, 19th century, uh, when the Society for Psychical Research in England was uh, investigating spiritualism, for example, a German scientist, Hermann von Helmholtz, uh, wrote that he didn't care uh, if all of the members of the Royal Academy were to testify to it, nor even the evidence of his own senses, he wouldn't believe it. Uh, so, you know, there's a very strong resistance, and there is, I think... There is, a, there is a very religious statement. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a religious belief in uh, what some people would call scientism. That, uh, yeah, I have addressed scientism, as you know. Uh-huh. But so it's a sociological phenomenon to to my way of thinking the the resistance now some skeptics will will point out they have legitimate criticisms of the research which is fine uh, parapsychologists are amongst the most critical of the research themselves so decade after decade the research gets better and better because of all the harsh criticisms. But the findings haven't gone away. We have 140 years of empirical data now. Yeah, that is very interesting. Is it open access, the article that you sent me? I, I'm sorry it is not an open access okay. article. But I can, I can still um, 
Yeah, I put the reference in the info box where you can put the reference in and you can share it privately on a one-to-one -one basis with interested people, but it cannot be it would be a violation of copyright to widely distribute it. But it's there on the record. Any uh, person with access to an academic library can uh, check out the August 2018 issue of the American Psychologist. Yeah, and uh, for you watching, you will find the reference in the info box as always to the reference to all of the uh, books and uh, and the articles we we will be mentioning. I think it's wonderful that you include these references for people. <laughs> yeah, I think that it is important because especially nowadays with, um, uh, you know, that we uh, over on your channel and do check out the interview that I did with uh, Jeff on his channel, uh, we uh, briefly mentioned post-truth as this kind of new paradigm in society. And so especially now where you know, people tend to not adhere as much to facts. I think it is extremely important nowadays to uh, kind of back what you say with sources and allow people to evaluate them themselves. So it is true that I always use academic peer-reviewed sources, but people may people know where the information is drawn from. So they can say, oh, look, there is this other research which has better methodology or is more updated. And they can say, and I, I, and I would just say, well, well done. <laughs> you, you, you are a step ahead of uh, what, I, what I've said in the video. So to me, it's not about conveying absolute truth or knowledge. It is just educating based on literature and proper research and of course that can be challenged because any knowledge in my opinion can be challenged and mm -hmm. as long as you have the sources then you can and it is even maybe you know <laughs> it is a good thing to do when you do it in a proper way of course not just um, insulting or saying that you that I'm going to hell because I talk about these things on my channel which does happen in the comments so <laughs> that is not the, the kind of criticism and research that I really wish for but it happens too but yeah on the theme of uh, scientism which is sort of this kind of belief that people have nowadays that uh, natural science can answer even the questions that uh, it was not designed to uh, so even metaphysical questions so it is kind of a um, uh, almost of a religious belief in science as the answer to everything that is um, I was wondering does it matter whether perhaps psychology is in science or not and if so why does it matter is it really important i wonder uh, i think it's important for researchers who are trying to get funding to to do this work uh, if parapsychology is uh, accepted as a science then eventually uh, the funding sources that fund scientific research uh, will allocate some some money for parapsychology uh, but in terms of the general public uh, it 
probably doesn't matter. I think that uh, most people I run into, and in fact, not just me, every parapsychologist I know, when we speak in public, people come up to us afterwards and say, I want to tell you about my experience. And they almost always say, and I've never told anybody else before, uh, the truth is that uh, most people in the public are having paranormal experiences. Surveys suggest that it's roughly two-thirds of the population are having these experiences and and they want to have some sort of a handle they they want to know that for example they're not crazy because oftentimes friends and relatives and teachers and colleagues uh, tend to look at them funny if they talk about their experiences so many people just refuse to discuss it at all but it it's you know it's it's hard for them so at a at a personal level I think people just want to be able to uh, know that they're okay when they have these experiences. Yeah, I think you made a really, really good point there. I guess that my question was like, does it make it more true or truer if it is a science? But actually you raised points that are besides beside this and yeah it is important for people to get funding and we cannot escape the theoretical framework in which we live which is of a scientific nature and so yeah it is important i guess for people to feel like they are not crazy when they experience these kind of things and to have access to empirical data which suggests that uh, these occurrences are not as isolated as some people may think. They're they're very widespread and the interesting thing is that uh, on the one hand two-thirds of the public are having these experiences but on the other hand in academia uh, people tend not to have them. When you're in this culture that uh, so strongly wishes to uh, emphasize what you call the scientistic worldview, then uh, people, even if they're having these experiences, they're really afraid that they'll lose their job if they talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your what is your hope when it comes to? you know, the, the future of parapsychology in general and parapsychology as a scientific discipline. Well, you know, just yesterday I released a video with a professor uh, from your country, Bernard Carr, uh-huh. who was, teaches uh, cosmology and mathematics at uh, Queen Mary uh, University of London. and. Uh, he talked about how uh, he's had a lifelong interest in this area but has always been afraid to share it with his colleagues. Uh, only now when he's finally retired does he feel completely free to open up uh, about these experiences. But he expressed the hope as a scientist that someday science will be able to uh, include consciousness and even include spirit that uh, we will have, uh, you know, in physics they're trying to have a a theory of everything, which means a theory of the forces known in physics. But he said a true theory of everything would also include consciousness and, and would also include spirit.
and he thinks this could eventually happen. Maybe in a hundred years or a thousand years, uh, we don't know, but eventually it would seem to me that uh, it's a nice goal to think that we might have a uh, unification of all knowledge. Mm. That sounds very Renaissance-like, <laughs> yeah. what they were trying to do in the Renaissance, at least in the Italian Renaissance, that was uh, precisely what they were trying to do. And, and the Italian Renaissance was a cultural high point. Mm. Yeah, and it, I really like the philosophy from the Italian Renaissance because of that. And they also included magic a lot, and so mm -hmm. natural magic as the practical aspect of natural philosophy which was at the time science so yeah i always thought i always thought that was really interesting how they kind of conceptualized natural mm -hmm. magic as the practical aspect of science <laughs> like you learn how nature works and then you apply the laws of nature <laughs> that is a, a, an ambitious project. I think they uh, did reach a cultural high point. They were very interested in the ancient Hermetic teachings as a as sort of a unifying philosophy uh, for both magic and science, a, as you put it. And I think today parapsychology is actually carrying on that tradition. Mm. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really happy we had this conversation. It was <laughs> really interesting. Is there anything else you'd like to to share, Jeffrey? Or well, I, I just simply invite uh, viewers of Angela's symposium to take a look at New Thinking Aloud on uh, YouTube. I think you'll find uh, a lot of overlap between uh, the topics we cover and the topics you cover. Yeah. I'm sure they they would really really enjoy your your content, <laughs> and yeah, I think that your your work on the channel and in general is really valuable. And even though I I'm doing something um, quite different, I guess yeah, I guess some of our intents may overlap. Mm -hmm. I'd say yeah. <laughs> Actually, quite a bit. I, I would say. Yeah. Do you think so too? <laughs> I do. I think uh, I think uh, we're not strictly an academic channel, but uh, I I tend to em emphasize people with an academic background. Yeah. So thank you very much, Jeff, for being here and sharing your knowledge. It was really fascinating and, and I'm sure that my viewers will really like it. So of course, let me know in the comments what you what you think of what Jeff said and do also check out his channel because it's really fascinating. So this is it for today's interview. Hope you liked it. And if you did, smash the like button. Subscribe to the channel, activate the notification bell because you really don't want to miss when I just upload a new video. You want to be the first one to know, don't you? <laughs> and stay tuned as always for all the academic fun. Bye for now.